What's up, podcast listeners? This is Matt Matthews and the host of Real Talk. I uh, am really excited about this episode because I've had a lot of people ask me um, to do a audiobook for my new book that was recently released um, September 22nd called Uncovered, The Naked Truth of Life, Love, and Addiction. And this book is just about my life and the, the things that I kind of went through that got me to the point where I am today. Um, I struggled with um, family members that, that had addictions and alcoholism and just things that really a lot of people face, but a lot of people don't understand how to break the cycle. Um, and so statistically, I should not be here. Statistically, I should be dead or an alcoholic or a drug addict. And uh, I broke those I broke those cycles and I was able to become something better than the things that I saw as a child. And I've had a, a ton and ton and ton of people ask me to do an audiobook or to do this. And let's be real, y'all, a bitch ain't got time for an audiobook. Like, I do not have time to do that. So, I mean, I guess I do have time if I'm sitting here reading and doing a fucking podcast. But I've decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to do episodes of different chapters of the Uncovered book. So today I'm going to read to you chapter one and start from the beginning. Now, um, I am not an author. Well, I guess I am an author because I wrote a book, but, um, I didn't plan to be an author. It wasn't in my, uh, my realm of things that I wanted to do, but I dedicate this book to anyone who is struggling, struggling to find your voice, your purpose, your calling, or just struggling to find yourself. You are more incredible and worthy than you ever thought you could be. All right. So we're going to jump into this and I'm going to read you chapter one and I'm going to um, go from there. So to the reader, forgive me, I'm not a writer. In fact, I don't even know where to begin writing a book. Let's be real. I'm a boudoir photographer. I teach women how to love their bodies, how to feel amazing in their own skin and how to see themselves in a way everyone else does. I'm not an author, but I've got shit to say. So I guess this is why we're here. This could be the best thing you've ever read or the most pointless, but I'll be happy so long as it inspires you in some way. Chapter one, the beginning. Leonard Skinner called it Sweet Home Alabama and their famous song, and to me, it always will be. Birmingham is a hot, humid place. Hell, I'd call it Satan's armpit for most of the year, but hey, it's home for me. The place that screwed me up and loved me into the man that I am today by equal measure. Whenever people hear my story, it's like I should be 50 years old for all the shit that I've been through. Sometimes it feels like the universe puts a bullseye on my back and said, let's get this one while he's young. But then I remember how far I've come, able to do what I love and to be so successful at it. And I'm thankful all over again for the vein of true grit running through my veins. I'm here to tell you that believing in yourself, finding your superpower, and the thing that makes you uniquely you is the key to unlocking the door to your destiny or purpose, or whatever other bullshit word you want to call it. As you might have guessed by now, none of this came easy for me. It's been a wild, bumpy ride. At times it tore my heart out, but I'm still standing. So buckle up, because this shit's about to get real. Little Lost Boy. Even though I was born into a loving household, life really was a shit show at times. Don't get me wrong. I think the things we go through make us stronger than we know. However, they also can fuck you up. That's pretty much the story of my life. A balance between handling adversity and being messed up in the head. I didn't come from a very wealthy upbringing, but I did come from a lot of love. 
and a lot of drug abuse and alcoholism. In addition to my mother and my father, Don and Renee Matthews, I also partially shared a home with my half-brother and sister, Trent and Miss Christy. Whoops. Uh, when I was young, these two pieces of work are twins who were 11 years older than I was. I adored my sister. Through my eyes, she walked on water. She could literally do no wrong. Trent, on the other hand, was a different story. In all honesty, the only memories I have of him were how mean he was to me. While I was taking a bath, he would walk into the bathroom and spit in the bathtub. No reason, just to be an asshole. But worse than being an asshole, he was a total addict. I would come home from school to learn that Trent has pawned my video games or my bicycles for drug money. Being an addict is hard. It's not just challenging for the addict, but it's also challenging for the family of the addict. Lucky for me, I had a trifecta of addicts in my life. My brother, my sister, my birth mother. Now listen close to this next part because you're going to hear it a lot. It's going to be a reoccurring theme, if you will. Addiction is an ugly cycle. You're low, then you get high, then you get happy, then you're sad, you're depressed, you're low again, and then you're high, really high. It's a whirlwind of emotions carried over an extremely lonely and awful path. Eventually, you find yourself walking alone. You have to feed this ugly disease because the pain of being sober is so much worse than the shame of getting high. So you do whatever it takes to make that happen. Like a villain in a superhero movie, you destroy whoever and whatever in your path, leaving only heartache and despair in your wake. It is your own personal F5 tornado. It takes hold of your life, tossing and turning it around violently. You have to decide if you want to fight to get free or let it slowly kill you. But the truth of the matter is, if you want something bad enough, you will inevitably do everything in your power to make that happen. You are the only person in control of your destiny. Nobody can make you do anything that you don't want to do. Remember that going forward. Statistically, I should be an addict, an alcoholic, or even dead. But good thing I'm not yet another statistic. Renee loved me. Don't get me wrong. I was her golden child, as she often called me. Her good attributes live on in my memories. She had a warm smile, an endearing laugh, a crazy-ass attitude, and relentless effort to always have my back no matter what I did or said. The good outweighed the bad, but sadly, she had a disease. She couldn't stay clean long enough to actually be my mother. She loved me in the best way that she knew how. In addition to drug addiction and alcoholism, she dealt with depression and bipolar disorder. She fought hard to love me, but it just wasn't enough. You can love someone, but love isn't always enough to save you from the darkness that you must feed. My parents got divorced when I turned five, and they went their separate ways. My dad had always had a hard-working job as a car salesman, and he was damn good at it. So he moved out, but still was a part of my life and raised me the best way he knew how. I would see him every weekend. Things were rocky at best because being a dad was new to him. However, he always made sure I had whatever I needed. He did his part and was always a phone call away if he wasn't in the same house. I remember talking to him and going fishing when I was very small. I always cried when I had to put the worm on the hook myself. Shocker, right? We would drive down the road, tires kicking up dust, and singing Hank Hank Williams Jr. songs, A Country Boy Can Survive, at the top of our lungs. He would always sing the first verse. I sang the second. Of course, I sounded better. Even so, we had a challenging relationship growing up. My father was a Marine, raised by a single mother. That was my grandma Sadie, one of the feistiest and most stubborn women I've ever known. She sure did adore me, though. They didn't come from much. They were rough 
on them growing up. And my dad suffered with my dad's father suffered with mental health issues and committed suicide when my dad was 11. So it was just the two of them, my dad and my grandma. My grandma said he wasn't educated and worked long hours in the cotton mill. She managed with what she had. However, she grew tired. It wasn't easy being a poor single mother. She had no patience and would yell and take her anger out on him. So guess what? My dad followed the same cycle and did the same thing with me. In 1984, my dad went to Paris Island for boot camp. After that, he went to school at Camp Johnston and was stationed at Camp Pendleton for about three years. From there, he went to Okinawa, Japan for one year, back to Paris Island, and then to Bessemer, Alabama. That's where he met my birth mother, Renee, in 1991. I showed up in the world in 1993, and inherently, Marines are predisposed to be hard asses, right? So maybe that's where it came from. He raised me with what he knew, the only thing he knew. He'd yell at me, I would offer up a smart-ass response, and then we would get into a huge fight. All during my adolescence and teen years, we were constantly at each other's throats. Honestly, I don't think we ever really liked each other much at the time. But my father showed me his love in other ways. He never just broke the cycle, but he did provide. And that was the most important thing in my life that I could ask for. He was my brick wall. Actually, a brick wall is my symbol for him, and I have it tattooed on my left arm and a meaningful sleeve of various other pieces of art. I call him my brick wall because he's so hard on me, yet he's always firm and supportive. A legit pain in my ass, but he did give me stability, and it means so much to know that I will always have a constant home, paid bills, groceries in the refrigerator, clothes on my back. I knew he was always there no matter what. Monkey see, monkey do. I believe as children, we inherently learn the things that we see and hear. We absorb all of the elements around us like little sponges. It is very much monkey see, monkey do. If we don't like the conditions as a child, we have to take meaningful steps to break that cycle. Monkey see, monkey get the hell away from me and all of the things that I despise. We take the power to change the things that we don't like about ourselves. It takes a conscious effort and constant decisions to become better. Don't like that your mom was a drug addict? Don't allow yourself to become one. Don't like that your dad had no patience and yelled at you a lot? Learn to have patience so that you don't exhibit the very qualities that you hated as a child. You are the only thing standing in your way. I learned that valuable lesson as a child. I witnessed drug addiction, abuse, mental disorders, just to name a few. I had the word statistic written all over me. And in the end, no one would likely blame me if I fell into those same traps. Kids like me usually end up doing the same thing they were raised watching. I knew that if I wanted a better life for myself, I had to break that pattern. And would that be easy? Absolutely not. I had to use every ounce of knowledge, strength, heart, and talent I possessed to break this vicious cycle. Thank God for human determination. Renee and I moved around a lot, probably every time that the rent was due if I'm keeping it real. She couldn't really hold a steady job because of her addiction. So each time we moved, we stayed in a new rental property until the bills were overdue, and then we were evicted. When I was seven, we moved into an apartment complex in the ghetto, which might be where I get my hood rat attitude. But everyone who lived in this neighborhood of rundown buildings was just graffiti and garbage, knew that they had landed on the bottom rung of the ladder. One night, as I laid in bed, I heard a frantic voice outside, Jerome, don't do that. No, please. And then I heard three loud, terrifying gunshots right outside my bedroom window. I remember tears rolling down my face as I looked at Renee, and I asked her at seven years old if I was going to die that night. That sort of thing really stays with you as a kid. I want to feel protected 
and safe, not the potential victim of a murder. Everyday tasks like doing laundry terrified me. We had to walk to the community laundromat. I thought for for sure someone would snag this little blue-eyed, blonde-haired kid up and take me away. You might ask how I remember these moments at such a young age, but I think the terror and trauma stay with you. They leave an imprint on you and shape your future. We didn't have much, and Renee usually spent the money that my dad gave her on alcohol or medication. But even then, we made do. She managed to ensure that I had dinner cooked, breakfast before school, and my homework was always done. It wasn't always great, but she did the best she could. I learned to love sugar water and mayonnaise sandwiches. Baby, I'm just keeping it real with you. When I was in the second grade, my dad knew it was time for him to intervene. Our living conditions and lack of real parenting had put my life at risk one too many times. The school principal called my dad one afternoon and told him I was sitting outside with the school janitor because all the other students had gone for the day. Nobody ever came to pick me up. My dad soon got custody of me and I moved in with him. That was the that was when everything changed. Just the two of us in his double wide trailer in a small town called Brookwood, Alabama. It was about as country as country got. I changed schools and started Brookwood Elementary. Life started to feel a little bit more normal. Well, normal for me. I still visited Renee on the weekends or whenever she could get a ride to come and see me, but the hard times continued for her. It was like she never really could catch a break. It's truly devastating thinking about the things that she endured and the demons that she battled. Not only was she battling addiction, but she struggled with daily depression. One hot summer night, she woke me up to ride with her to pick up a friend. I was a kid. What choice did I have? I obliged. We got into the car and headed down the road. Everything seemed to be fine at first, but I was probably still half asleep. That is until we ran into somebody's fence. I jumped out of my skin, scared to death, and I asked, Mom, what's happening? I didn't get an answer, and she kept driving. We hit a guardrail and began to slow down. I looked over at her and saw she was asleep. Petrified, I didn't know what the next move should be. I couldn't drive. I was probably nine at the time. I remember clutching the door handle, opening it, closing my eyes, and thinking again, This is going to be the night I die. I flung the door open, rolled out of the car into the middle of the street. I straight James bonded that shit, tucked and rolled out that bitch. I ran to nearby houses and banged on the door, sobbing while my hands bled from road rash. Per usual, my dad picked me up and saved the day. He was my superhero. And lucky for him, he was about to find a new woman to join our little band of misfits. And a couple of serious relationships, my dad met Marie. He spotted her one night while we were eating dinner at a neighborhood restaurant. He liked what he saw, and he was a persistent man. So he went for it. Marie was not so interested in the slightest. Why? Well, you see, we always made fun of my dad for wearing all the jewelry that he wore, and he always looks like Mr. T. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, being the salesman that he is, he, uh, he won her over. She still had kids. The first thing she turned out was all the jewelry that he wore. But she was everything he ever wanted. She was kind, loving, gentle, nurturing, and wanted to be loved just as much as my dad did. They both needed it. Meeting Marie was one of the best things to ever happen to him. Everything about him changed after that. He was happier, kinder, softer. I think she broke into his shell and opened him up to who he really was. A sensitive and loving man. Animal Therapy From an early age, I found a great deal of comfort in spending time around animals. I've always been so good with animals. Honestly, I love them way more than I do people, especially horses. 
Spending time with horses was predominant way that I coped with things. Something in my interaction with horses just made me feel at peace. And I did anything that I could be to be around him. Horses seemed to make everything feel okay and the world was collapsing around me. They reinvigorated my spirit. And I remember being young and having horses figurines all around my room. There were just something magical about them. They fascinated me. My dad used to take me every weekend to a local training facility and paid $25 for me to ride horses. This was always the highlight of my week. I mean, what kid wants to go shovel horse shit for free? I think it's either in your genes or it's not. But if you're reading this and you have kids, go ahead and buy them a pony because they'll never have money for drugs. Great things come from my family's mistakes. My mom, Cheryl, is a part of that silver lining. I know you're probably confused now. I moved in with my dad in the second grade. Shortly after, he started dating a woman he recently met. I hated her ass at first. She was everything I wasn't. She was smart, funny, disciplined, and she had horses. Things started to change once she came into the picture, and they got serious. She had no kids of her own, was a nurse, and was going to school to be a nurse anesthetist. Cheryl became my disciplinary parent for sure. My grades began to matter, and that bitch would ground my happy ass for anything less than a B. She used to put me in my room with nothing but a selection of books. No television, no internet, nothing. Um, how the fuck am I supposed to watch WWF Monday Night Raw with no TV? Shit was getting real. But really, she knew the best way to get to me was to take my horses. She grounded me from the barn for three months when I got a C in honor science in the seventh grade. Y'all best believe your sweet asses I never got a C again. She became my mom. She was the only real definition of a mom I ever had. Her family was the only real family that I ever had. And since my dad's family was all in another state, I rarely saw them. Her mother is my grandmother. Her sister is my aunt. And honestly, one of the best friends that I've ever had. Cheryl loved me, disciplined me, registered me for school, took me to hang out with friends, and always helped me with my homework. Having a baby doesn't make you a mother. Loving a child when you don't have to and being there for that kid does. I am forever grateful that my dad scooped her up at such an early age for me. Thanks, Match.com. You're the real OG. Family is important. I didn't think I would have one until my mom came into my life when I was in the second grade. Renee's family never really accepted me or had much to do with me. I think because I was a product of her. I would occasionally see them, but nothing substantial. After her passing, I never really spoke to any of them again. I think they all hated the things that she was, but sadly, she was a product of them. Her mother was also a prescription drug user, so the apple didn't far too fall, from, fall too far from the tree. I quickly learned that relatives are people that you share blood with, but family are the people that you choose to love when they don't have to. My grandma, Neoma, was one of the strongest and most successful people that I knew. I always looked up to her. She worked for AT&T and was the first woman to climb a telephone pole. She even installed the phone lines in Elvis Presley's home in Graceland. How badass is that? She was extremely intelligent, caring, and firm, sometimes too firm. She could chew you up and spit you out and not think twice about it. I was always the problem child to her, I think. Growing up, my cousins T and Noah were the good ones. Anytime Noah did something bad as a child, I was somehow blamed. But he, was been, he has been her favorite, probably because he's her only biological grandson. But nevertheless, she accepted me as her own and loved me unconditionally, and for that, I will forever be grateful. Out of everyone who loved me, I always seem to have an unbreakable bond with my mom's sister, my Aunt Wendy. She just gets me. She's my person. From, on, from early on, she knew things about me before I did. 
She's the person I would call if I killed someone and needed help hiding the body. We always connected at a high level and understood each other. Our Friday nights consisted of homemade nachos, movie nights, and the two of us. We'd lounge in front of the TV, pop in a DVD, and laugh our way through whatever rom-com we selected that night. My uncle always hated our chick flicks, so he'd leave us alone to do our thing. My family was small, but also the best thing that ever happened to me. Remember that family isn't a group of people that you're born into. Rather, it's the people who love you and are there for you the most. And my mom's family was absolutely every bit of that. Heading into adolescence, I instinctively knew I needed that love and acceptance around me. All right. So that was chapter one of Uncovered. I um, fucked up a little bit of that, but it's kind of hard to read a book and not mess up little words. So I hope that you enjoyed chapter one of Uncovered. Um, I will read some more chapters going forward and more podcasts. And I hope you guys stick around and listen to those. If you aren't already, please make sure that you rate this podcast on Apple podcast. Um, Also leave a review and subscribe. You guys are amazing. And I cannot wait to share more with you later. Make sure you stick around and we will talk soon. Bye guys. Thank you.